our scripture lesson comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, and I'll be reading chapter 1, verses 19 through 30. Because I'm going to back up just a half a line because it's in the middle of a sentence. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. But now, that as, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will highly be honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I do not know which I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake, since I am persuaded in this. I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, as a citizen of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for faith in the gospel, not being frightened away by any of your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but for your salvation, and this is from God, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you are engaged in that same struggle that you saw I had, and now here I have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It really is wonderful to hear Paul's words in the beginning of that passage. Yet I will continue to rejoice, he says. It's easy for us, I think, when we hear Paul in, in the book of Philippians as he's talking about all the things that, that give him joy, that give him peace, that, that give him encouragement. It's, it's hard for us sometimes to remember that Paul is in prison. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi while he is literally sitting in prison, chained hand and foot. Now, I've never been inside, on the inside, but I've heard that prison is not the happiest place on earth. No. <laughs> we do have some testimony here. It's not, a, it's not an enjoyable place to be. I, I, I think you polled 100 people, and 100 people would say, I would rather not be in prison than be in prison. And I don't suspect that on the inside, prisons are happy places where people are going around with joy and exaltation and, and writing to one another, make my joy complete, and yet I have all joy. And yet, this is what we hear from Paul. Paul is in prison. Paul is in prison for no other reason than that he has faithfully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul doesn't whine, he doesn't moan. Paul doesn't talk about how bad the food is or whatever else it might be. Paul just expresses joy. Joy in the midst of what is, I think we could all agree, a very dark place. Paul has joy. 
And we wonder, how does Paul maintain this joy? How does Paul maintain this, this sort of, this sunny disposition as he is writing to a church at Philippi, who also, by the way, probably is dealing with some of the similar suffering, at least if we're to take this passage seriously. But Paul is saying, I, I have joy and, and I will continue to rejoice. And, and yet he's in a dark and, and, and fearful place. Paul says, I will continue to rejoice to a people who probably for some reasons do not have a whole lot of feeling of joy in their hearts. It, I don't feel particularly like I'm in a position to be joyful this morning as I'm dealing with, with, with things that are going on in my life, as I'm, as I'm hearing news about, about someone who has served as a mentor to me as he's at the, the end of his life, as I, as I heard this last week about a seminary professor who passed away from cancer as well. I, things don't feel joyful, and yet I hear the words of Paul saying, make my joy complete, and yet in this, I have joy. Paul, in a dark and lonely and desperate place, says, I have great joy. And so we wonder, where does this joy come from? Where does Paul's joy come from? Now, in the immediate context, Paul, Paul says that his joy actually comes from, from the fact that he believes he will be delivered. If we read Philippians 1 just half carefully, we see that the very next things Paul says, basically, I have joy because I know this is a temporary situation. If we read it carefully, it sounds like Paul says, I have joy because God's going to spring me. That's what it sounds like he's saying here. I have joy because I know that I will be released, that I will be set free. Where does that joy come from? Well, it's happened before. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about Paul's initial journey to Philippi when he founded this church. And we will recall that because of the gospel, he was arrested. He and Silas were put into prison. And then there was an earthquake and the doors flung open. And for some reason, Paul and Silas stuck around. And then they got to witness to the jailer who became a Christian and his whole family was baptized. And, and he was sprung from jail and let out because Paul had great confidence in God that the gospel would go forward. So yes, Paul is confident that God will spring him from jail because God's done it before. He's seen it happen before. But more than that, Paul's confidence and Paul's joy comes from his faith in God, his faith in Christ. At the root, even of this idea that I know I will be sprung from here is this idea that God is here. God is with me. God has given me a mission and God will per continue that mission in me. Leads Paul to say something to the effect of, I know that I will never be put to shame. This may come in reference to Paul's being in prison, but it also probably more so comes in reference to the idea that Paul believes and trusts that, that, that as he continues to faithfully preach the gospel, he knows that God will always vindicate that. God will always move forward the gospel of God, of Jesus Christ. Paul is so convinced that, for lack of a better word term, God wins that he is willing to endure almost anything, maybe anything at all, because he knows that the gospel will go forward, that God is faithful to the things that God has said, that, that, that in the end, the, the, the rightness and the truth of the gospel will prevail. 
over everything and over anything. And so Paul says and can say in the midst of prison, and yet in this, I rejoice. For Paul's desire is that, it's not working well, in everything, Christ be glorified. And so Paul can rejoice because he is suffering and he is suffering needlessly. He's suffering for the gospel. But, but Paul knows that, that even in that, Christ will be glorified in him and through him and through the, the Philippians for that matter, right? In all of these things, Christ will be lifted up. And, and as you heard last week, Paul doesn't care much about anything else than that the word of God goes forth that the gospel be preached. So much so that, again, as you heard last week, Paul says, I don't care what motives people have as long as the gospel is preached. As long as Jesus is lifted up, nothing else matters. And so Paul can say, even in prison, even if God doesn't spring me, I can have joy in this, for Christ can be glorified and will be glorified in me. Paul's confidence is not simply in an earthly deliverance. Although, again, reading this, it seems that he's fairly certain that will happen. Paul's confidence is in the overwhelming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in him, at work through him, at work in the Philippians. Though he thinks deliverance, physical deliverance, will happen, we know that Paul is not terribly put out if it doesn't. For for, for he goes on to say, right, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I I don't think Paul is Pollyanna here. Paul Paul isn't ignoring the obvious. Now, Now, we aren't entirely sure where this falls in the timeline of Paul's life. It very well may be that he's in Rome and about to die. We're not given a whole lot of clues about where he writes this from. He might be elsewhere. He got, Paul was in prison a lot, in case you didn't know. He might have been somewhere else, in which case he was sprung, right? But this might be his final journey, the one that, that leads to his death, the hands of the emperor. But I really think, Paul, Paul is not, he's not unaware of what's going on around him. He's not, he's not just simply trying to be happy. He, he's not ignoring the realities. He, he just... He just sees his life as a good thing, like to live is to be in Christ and is to, to push the gospel forward, to be in alive is to, is to teach and to preach and to see Christ be lifted up. And then he says, but to die, it's gain. To live is good, to die is better. That's essentially what Paul says here. He knows that he could suffer. He knows because he has suffered. He knows that he could die. After all, Christ went before him and also died. Paul is not ignorant. Paul is just so convinced in the power of the gospel and so convinced that that he is held in the hands of of an almighty God who loves him and and of a savior who has given himself up for him. Paul knows that that to live is to just enjoy and have joy in life and to proclaim the gospel and to die is gain. In fact, Paul says, I don't know what to choose. I don't think Paul's under any illusion that it's his choice at this point, but he's saying, if I were pressed hard, I don't know which I would choose. 
I don't know if I would choose to, to, to stay here and to live in the presence of Christ and, or to die. I don't know. Paul says this. He says, it's up, if it were up to me, he said, if I had the choice, if you were to press me hard, I would die. Not many people live that way, by the way. I mean, there, there are people near death who say, I'd just rather die. And, and that's understandable. But, but Paul is, is not, he's not dying. He's, he, he has every intention and belief that he might be sprung from prison at any moment, like angel or earthquake or however else it might happen, or delivered through trial. It, he has every confidence that this is going to happen. But he says, if you were to ask me, for me, it would be better just to be gone. Because if I'm absent from kind of this life and, and if I'm absent from, from the trials and the things that are going on, I am with Christ. Paul says, if I die, Jesus, I am united with him. If I die, we're together. If, if I die, it is the culmination of this life that I have lived since knowing and, and, and seeing Christ. I, I, get to, I get to see and, and know as I am known, and I get to be there with him and transform the you know, earthly body, heavenly body, all the stuff that Paul talks about in lots of his letters. Paul says, that would be great for me. Wonderful. He says, if you were to ask me, if it were just up to me, if it were just about me, I'd take off here now. I'd go be with Christ. Paul's not someone who's afraid to die, can you tell? He is so grounded and sure in who he is in Christ and the, and the work that God has given him in the gospel that he says, it's better to go now because I'd be absent from the sufferings of the body, right? Paul recognizes. In fact, he is suffering. He's in prison. And prison wasn't a cakewalk. Because I'd be gone from that. This would be over and I wouldn't have to endure that because that's not fun. Even if Paul's willing to do it, even if Paul can rejoice in it, it's not fun to be in prison. And so Paul says, if it were up to me, I'm out of here. But Paul says it's not up to him. And Paul says, if I were to leave now, that would leave work undone. He says, I have work to do. He says, if it were up to me, I'd be gone. But he says this very candidly, it's better for you that I stay. It's better for you all that I stick around. And we might read Paul as a little bit, I don't know, self-absorbed. We might read Paul as a little bit, um, a little bit, a lot of bit confident in his own abilities and the impact he has on people. And, and we can read that, we can think about that, but, but that's not what's going on, I don't think, with Paul. Now, Paul did have an overinflated sense of confidence. We know this, we've read it. But Paul's confidence here and elsewhere doesn't come from the fact that he believes he's all that, so to speak. Right? He, he will write elsewhere, he says, not that I've already obtained any of this stuff, but I just want to know Jesus. But Paul is confident in his calling in Christ. Paul doesn't believe that God would call him to ministry if God weren't working through him in it. Paul, Paul was unwilling to say that, that eh, my presence here doesn't matter much. Paul says it does because God has given me a task and has given me a ministry. 
And so it's better for, for the people around me to who God has sent me, the ones to whom I am called, that, that I'm here. And so he said, it's better that I'm with you because, because then I can encourage you as you grow in faith. Then I can see as you mature into the people that God is, is creating you to be. He says, then I get to, to journey with you and I can, quite frankly, he says, I can boast a little bit about what God is doing in and through you. I can join you in that celebration, in that wonder, in that boasting. And, and Paul says, it's better that I stick around because then we get to do all this together. Paul is, it blows my mind that he is able to live like this and have this perspective. At the very least, it amazes me that he has the eloquence to write this in the ways that he does. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And though I wish I could go so I can be united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, it's better for us and you if we stick around and we minister together. I think Paul would say it's better for the world because more people come to know who Jesus is as we are transformed more and more into his image. It's a wonderful and beautiful passage of scripture if you ask me. It's challenging to me because I'm like, man, I'd love to live that way more than I do. But at the end of all this, it, again, Paul's, Paul's fairly confident, seems confident that he's going to be delivered from prison. But Paul says, in any case, if I go on living and I'm free from here and I join you later, or if I die even now, so no matter which way this road goes for me, says, remember this. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent and merely hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, and talks about this, he says, that, you know, all this is, is wonderful and it's theoretical, right? I might live, I might die. He says, but either way, it does not change who you and we are called to be and what you and we are called to do. It's no matter what happens, life or death, let us continue on in living a life that is worthy of the gospel. This is one of those interesting places in the scripture where, where we hear Paul say something like this, you know, well, but, but Paul, we're free, we're in Christ, all that sort of thing. What is that? You know, we don't, we don't have to earn God's favor, and that is all true. Christ died once for all. You are free, you are redeemed in Christ. But throughout all of this, Paul will maintain, and in all of his letters, and in quite a bit more of the New Testament, other authors maintain that, that there is a way of living that is shaped by the gospel of Christ. That is, we are free, we are redeemed, but it, it produces in us a way of living that in short proclaims the very message we have on our lips. We are redeemed so that we might live lives that show what it means to live redeemed lives, what it means to serve Christ, that shows what Jesus looks like. I didn't put the spoon up here again, but the pink spoon. Our lives are to be flavor of a taste of who Jesus is and what his kingdom might look like in our world when it comes in its fullness. 
That's what Paul means when he says, live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Elsewhere, Paul will say, you can do kind of whatever you want, right? We are free in all things, Paul will say. Elsewhere, Paul will say, everything is lawful, but then also not everything's beneficial. Kind of the short answer to that is like, you can go and live whatever you want. You can be a, a, a jerk, a bad person, and be redeemed, so to speak. There is a right to that, I suppose, because we are free. We can live however we want. But there's certain ways that we are called to live and shown how to live by Jesus that points others to Jesus rather than away. And so Paul says, only, and no matter how you do it, whether you're free from suffering and life is just all roses, or whether you are suffering as I know you are, as you have joined me, as you have seen me do in the past, and know that I am in the present, either of those options, he says, live a life that points others to the gospel that points others to Jesus. Live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that's the call. Right? Whether we suffer or whether things are wonderful, whether, whether we are, are, are sick on our deathbeds or, or, or whether we are free to do whatever we want, however we want, we are called to live lives which point others to Jesus Christ. I didn't intend to use Jerry as a, an example today, but the last time I was with Jerry in person, right? He sat there and he says, I believe I am at peace. I mean, think, Jerry was six months away from retirement. He has kids and grandkids, but, but as he proclaims to, to others, as he talks to others, his, his, his hope and his joy is in Christ. And essentially he says, no matter, he told us, no matter which way this goes, I desire that in the midst of all of this, Christ would be glorified. So that no matter how we live, and no matter where we are, it is the gospel of Christ that forms in us a glimpse of the kingdom as we live our lives in the world. So that when we are doing wonderful, we might point others to Jesus and say, isn't God good? Or if we're suffering, we might point to Jesus and say, we follow our crucified Savior who loved the world and gave himself up for it. Whether it's in life or in death, Paul desires deeply that God be glorified, that Christ be lifted up. That the world might know the crucified lamb, a risen Messiah, the one who loved us enough to give up his life for us. Paul calls us to live our lives worthy of this gospel in ways that model the character of Jesus and the kingdom of God in the midst of a world that is often suffering and in turmoil and chaos. Just a teaser for next week, Sheldon's going to be talking about what that life looks like. But this is the life to which Paul says, he says, it doesn't matter if I live or if I die. My hope is in Christ and in Christ alone so it doesn't matter whether I live or I die. My desire is that in me, Christ be exalted. 
He says, it doesn't matter whether we live or die or whether things are great or whether we're suffering. Let us live in ways that bring glory to God in Christ so that others might know that in the good times and bad, they can taste and see and know that God is good. Not to put too fine a point on it, but that Christ is our hope in life or in death. And as we close, we're going to reiterate that point. Sheldon's going to come up and lead us in the last song that is ironically entitled, Christ, My Hope in Life and Death. I desperately desire to be at a point in my life where I can say as confidently as Paul writes here, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I desire to be at a point in my life where I say, if God should allow me to go on, it's great for the people around me because in me and through me, God has formed something that helps others to see Jesus more clearly. I deeply desire for us to be at a point where we can say that, that our collective life together, as long as it's short as it might be, would bring glory to God and nothing else. That in our collective life together, Christ might be lifted up. That those from the outside, no matter what they think about this whole Jesus thing, might look at our collective life together and say, that is something good. To which we can answer, it's Jesus. But also that we might have the confidence to say that should God desire or should God take me now, I'm okay. It's better for my life is hid in Christ and God. For we have confidence in life or in death of the one who has called us and redeemed us. Will you please stand and sing together?